Hello and welcome to the Matt Belair podcast. As an explorer of the mind and world, author and coach, I have spent a lifetime learning how to push my limits and achieve my highest potential. My mission is to bring you the most inspiring, conscious, and empowering teachers, leaders, and thinkers on the planet. To bring you stories, lessons, and messages that will help you master your mind, body, and spirit. Thank you so much for listening, and I hope you enjoy today's episode. Hello there, wonderful soul, beautiful mind pleasant and multi-dimensional spirit. Does that work? Sure. Why not? Uh, welcome to another episode. This is part two with Mark Gober, and we are exploring his book, An End to Upside Down Thinking. So if you listen to part one, you know that it's already a fantastic episode, and we're just going to keep diving deeper in part two. Uh, I believe we talk about Elon Musk's Neuralink startup. We talk about the brain as an antenna of consciousness. We talk about tribal community and the meaning of life. Um, we talk about some personal stories, the work of Rupert Spira, and a bunch of uh, other things, as well as the implications of what this means. What does this research mean if we begin to think in this manner? So, again, this is an amazing episode. Uh, I hope that you enjoy it. Please share it if you like it. If you want to support the podcast, the best thing that you can do is one act of kindness today. Pretty please. Um, that's if you like the podcast and you kind of get what it's about do one random act of kindness pick up a piece of trash let somebody in in traffic um, and i highly invite you to take the challenge of three acts of kindness a day don't tell anybody and go out of your way to do it um, that if you do that for a week you're gonna get a spiritual wink a universal wink trust me give it a shot um, i had a friend reach out who recently did it and um, it actually literally changed his entire life and he had a kundalini awakening um, i'm not gonna say that that's gonna happen to you i have no idea if it will but it did for him and it was pretty intense and he recently <laughs> described it to me um, and it was after he started doing the acts of kindness so just give it a shot you'll probably get a light wink but what's what's it gonna hurt you'll at least do some nice things so uh please if you like the show three acts of kindness a day don't tell anybody try it for a week go out of your way to do it and see what happens um the other thing that you can do is share this episode that really helps uh please go over to itunes if you like it and, and write a thoughtful review that really helps spread the word and encourage people to listen to this podcast and the sea of amazing other podcasts out there too um so please do that and also patreon if you want to hook me up on patreon uh, i would gladly accept that support and i really appreciate it go to patreon.com forward slash matt belair and i want to thank jamie victor i think i said david victor yesterday jamie victor you're the man thank you so much and henry Karuf, you donated generously you contribute generously to me doing this show and i appreciate you guys i appreciate all my patron i appreciate anybody who listens to the show i appreciate anybody who shares it so um I'm over on this microphone here, and I'm in Vancouver doing the show. You're wherever you are. Listen to it, um, and just remember the best thing to do is share this sucker because it helps a great deal. So any way you contribute uh, is really incredible. I want to thank my sponsor, David Lonebear Senapass, Native American elder of the Mi'kmaq. Uh, check out Distant Ancient Echoes on Facebook. Check out Lone Bear's Arts. I'm working with him and Zuni elder Clifford Mahuti very closely. These elders do need support sharing this 20,000-year-old knowledge to the world. Um, every kind of support really administrative assistant um if you know any benevolent uh, angel investors they have technology that they want to share that we need to build um you can look at it he talks about it on the podcast uh he sent balloons into space so i spent the summer finding out if he was legit and i'm pretty sure he is and uh, i invite you just to have a look and make your own decision putting in balloons into space is a pretty good start for legitimacy um uh, but i digress uh please go to mattbelair.com sign up for the email list and if you want free lucid dreaming just go forward slash lucid dreaming and you will receive an email book and a guided meditation to help you lose a dream quickly and easily also check out zenathlete.com it's a guide to self-mastery you do not need to be an athlete to benefit from that thing it is literally the the most useful and effective techniques that i've discovered in the path to um, just creating a life that i was proud of and uh, for those of you guys who want some coaching i'm doing a lot more heart journey activations this is basically where you're hypnotized into your heart you're gone through a process to discover your life's purpose and it's more about the direction of your life's purpose not the exact one thing you're going to do it's a 
direction thing and it's a how you live and 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 where you're going um so that i've been doing that just make an inquiry at matt belair uh forward slash coaching and if you want to go a little bit deeper and you're really committed and you want to do the work and you really want to level up um doing monthly membership and coaching as well so you can inquire on the website for that and basically you know i'm taking people from not even knowing what the heck they want to do to identifying what a fulfilling and exciting and uh you know beautiful life looks like for you getting really clear getting rid of the junk overcoming limiting beliefs and then installing the beliefs that we need doing the processes that we need both uh mentally physically emotionally spiritually using all the tactics of peak performance flow state things like that so we can get to that goal in a state of fulfillment uh, but as quickly and as effectively as possible so if you're interested in that just hit me up also all the speaking inquiries and things like that just go to matt at zenathlete.com and i'm happy to hook you up so anyway before we get into this let's come to a a state of peace and coherence uh, together as a unit and blast out loving awesome vibes to everybody we know but then go take an action and go do an act of kindness because um you need to actually take an action like if you want strong legs you got to do an actual squat or go for a jog so let's first identify that we want to come to a state of powerful peace coherence and gratitude taking in a deep breath in through our nose Holding that breath and imagining divine crystal platinum light coming down from the universe, connecting us to spirit, to source, and to the universe, and pulsing through every cell and every muscle and every fiber of our being, going right into the earth as you let that breath out slowly with all limitations, self-criticisms, and doubts. Taking another deep breath in through the nose, in through the nose, and imagining the energies from the earth coming up through your feet and pulsing through every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being as you hold that breath. And then you just fill yourself up with gratitude, with love, with encouragement, with joy. Just think about one thing you're really grateful for. So you let that breath out slowly with all the cares and all the worries of the day. Taking in one more deep breath in through the nose. And this time really amplifying that feeling of gratitude, of love, of abundance, of service, of uh, humanity. And I want you to send that energy out to everybody you've ever met. Your friends, your family, your schoolmates, your enemies, everyone you've ever met. All the people who's ever served you in a restaurant. Just sending them all your love and I'm sending out all of my love, encouragement. I want you to see this energy go out to your city, to your town, to your country, all the way all over the world, all this energy pulsing to everybody on the podcast, all connecting in resonance, pulsing, loving, kindness, compassion through the planet, all the way out to the galaxy, solar system, all the way out into space, forward, back, past, present, and to where we are right now in the moment. And we are going to embody this knowledge and this lesson by one act of kindness today, going out in the community and doing one action, showing that we are integrating this knowledge that you are in a spiritual master. And for me right now, a spiritual master is simply somebody who does three acts of kindness a day and doesn't tell anybody about it. That to me is embodying a spiritual master each and every day. So there we go. I think we're ready to get into this part two with the man, Mark Gober. Alternatively, we could regard them as the window into the actual reality that we're clouded from on a normal basis. And if that's true, then we need to be looking at this very carefully to see what the commonalities are, what the differences are, and why. Because it might teach us about the actual nature of reality that we're in. So I think that's huge. And there are other things that teach us about that, like psychedelics. And I talk about psychedelics in my book and some of the studies that have come out on that. In some cases, psychedelics reduce brain functioning. So there's a study in 2012 on psilocybin, the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. What you would expect is when someone's tripping, they're having this ultra real reality that there would be more brain functioning. If the brain produces consciousness, you might expect more brain activity with enriched experience. What do you find? You find reduced brain activity and an enriched experience. What do you find in the near-death experience? Reduced or no brain functioning and a heightened experience. There are a number of cases like this, reduced brain functioning, more consciousness. That aligns with the idea that the brain is like a, a filter. It's, and these experiences sort of unlock the filter that's normally clouded out by all the activity in our brain. So that's a near-death experience. That's chapter nine in my book. I think it's a really important one because it, it gets into what reality is. I have a chapter on after-death communications and communications with the deceased. There are case studies back to the 1800s of people. One is Mrs. Piper, who um, Harvard professor William James studied her. And they, they sent her to England, she was from the U.S., to, to run seances, talking to dead people. They had detectives follow her around to make sure she wasn't talking to anybody. And she was able to get information that people report. So she was one of these Michael Jordans. And there are a few throughout the ages that people have reported. And those are anecdotal cases. And sometimes people say, well, it's an anecdote. And there are a million reasons it could have been made up. They couldn't really talk to dead people. Recently, 
there have been some controlled studies conducted. Dr. Julie Beischel at the Windbridge Research Center is running the studies. She was a, a pharmacology PhD and had an experience with a medium after her mother died. A medium is someone who claims to be able to talk to dead people, psychic medium. Which again, if consciousness isn't limited to the brain, that's not a paranormal thing at all. Then when someone dies, their consciousness is just out there, theoretically. So she's studying this in a controlled manner to take away any anecdotal issues of it's her studies are five way blinded. So she's on the phone, on the phone with the medium. She gives the first name of the deceased person and the medium then gives information. And then there's an independent rating process, rating the answers. And what do they find in two peer reviewed journal studies that these mediums are able to get non chance information that they shouldn't know about, about dead people just from getting the first name. So again, these need to be replicated more, but it all aligns. It's, it aligns with everything else we've talked about. So that's an important area. There's another area that's related, which is an after-depth communication, where it's not like in a lab like this, where you're talking to a medium over the phone. It's where an everyday person is having alleged communications with a deceased person, where they come to them in a dream, or there's a case I talk about, Paul Davids, who was a Princeton psychology grad. So we, I'm like, okay, that, I, I know what your upbringing is, because we had the same training. And he's a Hollywood producer. He wrote a book called The An Atheist in Heaven, <clears throat> where he chronicles over 150 cases, I think, where his deceased colleague was communicating with him, including an ink blot, where he left the room and he was in a house by himself and there was an ink blot covering certain words that had meaning. And he sent it to a lab for three years, like the best chemist in the world. He wanted to figure out what was going on. They couldn't figure out the composition of of what, what the inkblot was. And he chronicles many cases like this. So there are these anecdotes that many of your listeners might be able to relate to where someone deceased, they feel their presence. It's harder to prove, but there are some cases where it's, it's very hard to explain. And I go through some of those. The next chapter is on children who have memories of a previous life. So these were done, <clears throat> excuse me, at the University of Virginia over 50 years, Dr. Ian Stevenson, um, who was a prominent psychiatrist at UVA, was running these studies. And now Dr. Jim Tucker, who I interviewed on my podcast as well, running these studies. These are very difficult to explain by conventional means. Over 2,500 children around the world, they are describing memories of a life that's not theirs in vivid detail in some cases. Often they're describing how they died. These children are between the ages of two and five years old and are talking about things that they shouldn't know about. And in some cases they have preferences, like they want tobacco or alcohol, like things that that don't make sense for a little kid. In some cases, the families have never talked about these things. So it's like preferences are being transferred. And the most compelling cases to me are where children have birthmarks or physical deformities that match how they describe dying in the previous life. Where in some cases, the researchers from UVA find medical records that match how the child described dying and match the birth defects. So in one case in the book, I, I was able to use a picture from Dr. Ian Stevenson's book of a little girl who described having a very brutal death where she was tied up in ropes and she was tortured and died in a past life. And she says, and she says, Grandpa, why did they torture me? Dr. Stevenson shows a picture of this little girl's leg and you can see constriction rings, like her leg is this and then goes in and then out as if it were tied in ropes. And that's the natural shape of the leg in the picture. So, and then they found a person who died in the exact way that that little girl described. So, I mean, how do we explain that? I don't know. I mean, I don't know how to explain that. And there are other cases like it. There are enough where the children either know so many things that they couldn't have known otherwise, or they had these distinctive birthmarks and deformities that have been studied carefully by scientists that I personally respect and have gotten to talk to. I have a hard time explaining that through anything conventional other than I just don't want to believe it. I think that's maybe the best explanation. Um, so that's an interesting one because that starts to get into this concept of reincarnation. Is it, is it another form of consciousness that's re-inhabiting another body or is it a psychic ability of they're psychically tapping into some deceased person and they're inhabiting those memories somehow and then somehow that's affecting their physical form? I don't know. I'm, I'm most compelled by this notion of reincarnation, which is sort of a misnomer because I, I regard time as not existing at all. And I get into this in the book. And if there's no time, then the idea that you were something and then are something else is kind of a human construct. So it's sort of more like consciousness is just having all these experiences. But anyway, it gets into topics that I would have never looked at before. 
So those are the different phenomena that I talk about in, in detail in the book and cite all the evidence for people who want to look into it. I try to be as, I try to simplify things as much as possible because it can get complex. I have a chapter on quantum physics as well to simplify things for people. And I conclude that, look, I went through all these different phenomena. I don't think it's reasonable to say that all these things are made up, that it's just someone lying, that it's all bad statistics, that it's just delusion. I think that there's a high probability that at least one of the things that I talk about in the book is real. And if at least one is real, I think it's probably a lot more than one. But if at least one is real, then we need to account for it. And I don't think materialism, matter through a brain creates consciousness. I don't think that can explain it. I think we need a new framework where consciousness is the basis of reality. And that would explain things very, very well. I love it, man. Well, I appreciate you doing all that research because it's definitely the way that I've kind of had my own worldview as I imagine it. And the first and like most fundamental thing I can think about is just your own coherence through your own consciousness and your own body as you navigate uh, life. And so when we're talking about consciousness, most people believe consciousness is, you know, I've been calling it task list consciousness um, right now or fear-based consciousness you wake up and you just you go through your task list you go to your job you know maybe you get to go to the pub with your buddies if you're a girl I don't know what they do they do whatever they do um, but I'm just thinking about it as like a Canadian boy with my homies and um, you know that's basically how people operate task list consciousness and they think that's everything um, but when you go into deep states of meditation you have these experiences of some people call it non-local mind or whatever um, but people operate from this one piece of consciousness that is the most limited piece of consciousness the most limited consciousness you could perceive is the one that makes sure you don't get hit by a car and when you can expand that into different experiences you realize how massive um, consciousness really is like what it actually is and it's that fear of getting hit by a car or not having enough food or whatever um, in this in this um, let's say limited perspective that has you do things over and over and over that you might not want to do. So one of the things I kind of say sometimes is that um, if you wake up and you go to a space like a cubicle or a job or wherever that you don't want to go to uh, five days a week, uh, 40 hours, you're a slave because that's what slavery is. You go to a space you don't want to go to. That's what slavery is. And not only do we have mental slavery, we have physical slavery because um, we're in this task list, limited consciousness, where we have to go to this job to go get coupons so we're allowed to buy food and we can be indoors. But when you realize how actually powerful that you are, when you make that own choice within yourself to design your reality from your own making, from your own values, um, and begin to trust this higher force, you, you know, you don't, you can still go get, you'll still get food and you'll still be indoors, but you'll go to spaces that you prefer. It takes a little bit of time, um, but you get there. But what happens is you bring the meaning back to what you decide the meaning is, not what somebody else decided the meaning was or what was real for them. And uh, so it's a really powerful shift. Um, and then the one thing I wanted to touch on before is like uh, community and tribal. When you realize like if we weren't so big and we had small communities of 10 people, 50 people, 100 people, and you knew everybody, if you were going around town being a total a-hole, everybody would know who you were. And they'd be like, yo, man, let's, let's get the community together and be like, why do you keep going and being such a, an a-hole to everybody? Can you please stop that? You know, and we are a tribal species. We're the human species. I like to say Team Earth. What would happen if USA teamed up with Canada, teamed up with Russia and Sweden and Korea, and all the scientists started, everybody doing anything got out of fear base and just like, here's everything. I hope that your life is better. There is no competition. This might be able to help you. And we can do extraordinary things from that perspective, but ultimately, you are the only one that can change your consciousness and reality. And that comes from that reflection. But you've got to learn, I think, one of the first and most important steps is getting out of that task list consciousness. If this is a stretch for you, it's because you only operate in taskless consciousness. You don't know how to meditate. And you could do it in other ways, but you've got to learn how to quiet the mind because the mind has to solve the problems. You know, you have to basically be able to imagine the house and the existence that you want from a heart center, 
from expansive mind. And then you use taskless consciousness to go get the materials to build the life you want. That's what it's for, not the other way around. The heart steers and leads and, and the hands and the other consciousness make sure you avoid the little pitfalls, do the organization, set up the meeting and do all that kind of do. And you have this balanced perspective, but we're so far in uh, one way. So um, I'll leave it at that and just want to give it, give it back to you and you can, you can add on, but I want to see where you came for these, for these implications. Cause you mm -hmm. talked about that a little bit. You talk about, um, there's a question about Elon Musk and Neuralink cause I haven't heard about that. Okay. Um, you know, what do you, what do you feel are the, the implications of, of having a look at this and, and, and really all I suggest to people at the, at the end of the day is that you really got to process what is important to you. Are you living your life values? Are you happy? Um, you know, give yourself when I train with the Shaolin monks, you know, and I've been in this research too. who's doing the most incredible stuff. The Shaolin monks could break stone with two fingers. And so I interview him and I'm trying to figure out how that's possible. And, um, he starts slamming his fingers down on the desk and there's dent holes in the trees outside the Academy. And he had, uh, did hard Qigong with his fingers for years, I think five, six years, something like that. And, and Qigong using energy, um, for years to be able to do something we believe is, uh, so out there. So if you can think of an idea of your life experience, you know, if you look at a 10 year old, you say you can do anything in the world, right? And then 20 hits and 30 hits and they throw you through education is like, this is important. And if you do this, you can get a Mercedes in a cool house, right? But what about the person traveling the world to all these different experiences? What about the musician who really wanted to explore art? What about, um, I don't know, living on the beach and surfing? What is the thing that calls to you the most? And then when you die, are you doing the thing that you decided to do or someone else told you? And you need to learn how to quiet the mind and go within. What are my values? What do I want to imagine here? What could I build over a lifetime? Who am I and what signature do I want to live? What do I want to build over 10 years? You know, and usually that's not someone else's idea. I love it, Matt. I like the way you think. <laughs> cool. Very aligned with you. Um, so in terms of implications, I mean, I, I think – you hit on a lot of the things about how we live our, our day-to-day lives. I break it down into different categories. So one, the, the last two chapters of the book are in a question answer form of, I took questions that I think people would ask or questions that people have asked me and then I answer them. So that's the last two chapters. Um, Elon Musk startup Neuralink, which is all about creating a wizard hat for the brain, basically using electronics to enhance the brain. And the argument I make is, well, it, there's not much known about what he's doing, but it sounds like, they're using this materialist perspective that the brain is the producer of consciousness. And if that's the case, I think they're probably limited in how they're thinking about the brain and, and their product. If instead they studied the brain as being more like a limiter or a filter or an antenna of consciousness, could they enhance psychic abilities using this machinery? So I raise those questions of, and that's, that's kind of in the first section of that chapter of how can we enhance abilities to improve our lives in different ways in business or in otherwise to, if we have psychic abilities, can we use them? Can we meditate better and, and do things like the monks can do? Um, or can we build machinery that can enhance these things? It gets into a topic also on artificial intelligence, which is a hot topic right now. I think about artificial intelligence very differently because if, matter doesn't create consciousness then can we create sentient artificial intelligence can we create uh, a machine that has feelings basically that wants power i would argue that until we understand how consciousness is interacting with the brain and inhabiting this physical form i'm not worried about it in the i think there are still dangers like you could create a machine that says kill a person that looks like this and that would be horrible and it could do that, but it's still just mechanistic. It's just computationally doing what it's told to do, whatever the operator tells it. It's not sentient on its own. It's not having emotions. So I'm not sure we can create artificial intelligence that can be emotional and want power in the way that some people are fearing. So I'm not saying we should totally forget about artificial intelligence as being a danger, but I think maybe some of the fears are overblown because they, some people are making this assumption about consciousness that, oh yeah, well, we can just create consciousness from a machine. And shows like Westworld kind of had that implicit idea of, well, when they get complex enough, then consciousness somehow emerges. That is the magical step that no one knows how it even happens. And I'm arguing it doesn't happen, that matter doesn't create it. So that's a big one. Artificial intelligence is a hot topic. I think for medicine, I mean, this is totally game changing for medicine. Because medicine and most of the scientific community are regarding consciousness as a, it's known as an epiphenomenon of brain activity, meaning just pops out of the brain. 
And as an epiphenomenon, it pops out and has no effect on the world around it. If that's true, then this whole like mind body thing doesn't make any sense. But if, if consciousness is having some effect on the physical form, it certainly does on random number generators. And I talk about metal bending and some other, you know, crazier things where it's more substantial, then how could, can our mind impact our body? Again, this is one of those things where at the very least, it seems to me to make sense and, and a low risk thing to think positively and to try to have healing thoughts towards our body because I don't think it can hurt. And in the best case scenario, it probably can help. If we go back to the children who remember previous lives, somehow their physical form is affected by consciousness. And it has nothing to do with genetics or environment which are the two things that are believed in mainstream science to affect physical form. It's your genes or it's your environmental factors. This is something totally separate. And the researchers at University of Virginia, they call it the third factor. If there's a third factor that affects our physical body, I mean, we need to account for that. That's, that is immense. That changes all of medicine. So, I mean, I talk about this in a page or something when I say, what are the implications for medicine? I mean, there could be books written on each of these individual uh, sections. But it, that's a huge thing for medicine. They need to, we need to be able to account for those anomalies. And then once we account for it, understand how we can treat people differently uh, medically. And then I think it gets into more existential topics where I spend most of my time thinking now because I've read enough of the science where to me it's these things are not outrageous. When I tell certain people about them, maybe some of your listeners are hearing these things for the first time. It's totally jaw-dropping. It's like how do I even think about these things? I don't even know how to – I need some time like by myself. And that's what happened to me. Now for me, it's, it's like, I just, I think about it so often that I, the implications are where my head is. And it gets to things like meaning of life. So we talked about the life review. It seems like at the very least, part of the meaning of life is to treat others well. And for like consciousness to treat itself in, in a positive way and to experience this unconditional love that is talked about all the time, but which we don't necessarily experience on a day-to-day -day basis. I think that's definitely part of the meaning there is a notion of the evolution of consciousness. I touch on it very briefly in the book. I, in my podcast, it comes up more with people who are channeling. And channeling is where a form of consciousness like comes through a person and in some cases overtakes the person and they're speaking in a different tongue almost. And this happens to some children who remember previous lives. It's known as xenoglossy with an X, where a person speaks a language they were never taught. How was a little kid? There aren't many cases, but there are a few that these researchers have found where the kids are speaking languages they weren't taught. Um, so my, my point here on channeling is one of the messages that comes across a lot. This is extremely anecdotal, but it's the notion that consciousness is trying to evolve itself. And it's like a constant growth process. And each of these physical forms, Mark, Matt, each of the listeners are experiencing different physical forms. So it's like consciousness having a diversity of experiences, but moving towards this, this goal of, of <clears throat> becoming more loving or treating people well, treating people like ourselves, because if we're the same consciousness, they really are just you. Um, so that's a big topic. If, if that's like kind of the meaning of life, that we're trying to evolve consciousness, that changes, I think, how one might live. Of, well, okay, well, how can I personally evolve my consciousness? How can I treat other people better on a day-to-day -day basis? How can my work, even though we need to live and we need to make enough money to live in a house or an apartment and get food, how can we do that in a way that's benefiting other people? Because if that's really the goal here for all, for all of us to treat ourselves as the same consciousness, no matter how we look or, or think, um, that, has, that has big implications. So to me, I'm kind of, it seems like there's something there to this evolution of consciousness and I wanna research it more, but the people who are channeling, it comes through across so many different channelers. And across decades, if you read channeled text of people who are, they go into this mode where they're just writing and it's not really them. This notion of the evolution of consciousness comes up over and over again. So that undercuts so much of what we're taught as being meaningful. It's incredible. Um, so I think meaning of life is, that's an important topic. Um, happiness, that's a big one. I think what are, why are most of us doing the things we do? I think we're trying to be happy or avoid suffering. And what they're, to me, one and the same. If we think of the natural state of consciousness that we see in near-death experiences and psych some psychedelic users, of <clears throat> that's happiness. It's like it's there the whole time, but our brain and our everyday life are filtering these things out. Then it, it suggests to me that happiness is not something external. 
And this would explain why you have some famous people who are, we're seeing it now, committing suicide or very unhappy. It's tragic. And you would think based on materialism that, well, you should just collect as much material stuff as you can because you're going to be dead soon and that's all that matters. <clears throat> and we're all separate. Then, then material things should bring happiness. But we don't see that. And I, from my own personal experience, I mean, I, I achieved a lot of things that I wanted and then I would just return to baseline. And I was looking for the next thing. In psychology, they call it the hedonic treadmill. It's like you're on a treadmill running for the next thing. You get it, but you haven't moved anywhere. And then you're on to the next thing, still running. I think many people can relate to that on all levels of you have a goal, you get it, and you're not, maybe you're happy for a short period of time, but it doesn't bring lasting happiness and lasting peace. I was just talking to Rupert Spira about that. He, to me, is one of the greatest living non-dual philosophers. He's based out of the UK. And I was asking him what drew him to non-duality this idea that consciousness is, is all of reality. Um, for him, he said, he had a, as a teenager, very advanced guy, he always wanted to know what reality was, and that's what drew him to it, number one. Number two, he realized that nothing material could bring him lasting happiness and peace. Nothing. No relationship, no monetary success. And I feel in the same boat. It's like you get something and it, that doesn't bring the lasting happiness. So it seemed, and I was talking to him, well, okay, for you, what brings lasting happiness? It seems that this reuniting with the true self this consciousness that we actually are not the character that we've kind of been trained to be that once you start aligning with that that's where lasting peace and happiness can come it almost is like trying to get into that state of the near-death experience or the psychedelics user or meditator it's aligning with the consciousness that is experiencing your life that can start to lead you down the path of more lasting happiness because that's your true nature Anything material is, is external. And if everything is consciousness, then there's nothing outside of consciousness. So it kind of makes sense that if you are striving for this thing outside of yourself, that you would never be last, you would never experience lasting happiness because that thing outside of you is actually illusory. It's an illusion. It doesn't exist. So it's a recontextualization of a lot of things to, to think about happiness. And I think just the recognition of, oh, wait, maybe I am not Mark. I am not Mark. I am experiencing Mark. And what is Mark? marks a body and a series of thoughts. Those are just perceptions and sensations. In the end of my book, I get into this. What, what is the I that is experiencing Mark? That is the true self. Mark is just like this, this vehicle, I guess. That's kind of where I'm arriving on it. So the true self is the one that's having the experience. So just like having that recognition, whether it's in meditation or just walking down the street of like, I'm not actually Mark, I'm experiencing Mark. What is that which that is experiencing Mark? What, what is that thing, that entity, that awareness? Okay, you align with that. And I think things start to happen. I can't prove that yet, but I've, I've noticed it with people in my own life. The more I align with that true consciousness and recognition of what I am, I think the happier I am or the less suffering I have. And I think just good things have started to happen. So that's one. Another implication is around world peace. I talk about this in terms of how we treat each other. And that's how I close the book is that, yeah, my book is a scientific book, but all the science is pointing towards the idea that materialism is wrong. Consciousness isn't coming from matter. It's not coming from the brain. And if that scientific idea is wrong, it has existential implications for how we think about our life and how we treat people. So this isn't just some science book. And that, I want it to be both a science book, but also an implications book, even though it's just at the very end. How would we treat each other? It's, it's actually not rational to treat someone poorly. If you buy into this idea, it becomes irrational. Why would you inflict harm on someone that is actually you? So I mentioned altruism, which is the idea that we like to help each other. That's an altruistic act. In evolutionary biology, it's a very problematic thing. It's because evolutionary biology says it's survival of the fittest. So why is, this, where is, why is there this thing of wanting to help people? And there have been some theories of, well, it helps when the collective is trying to help others because you're promoting the survival of genes. It's, it's not well understood. Under this argument, altruism is actually selfishness because by helping another person, you're helping yourself. The highest form of selfishness is altruism. So that makes so much sense why people would want to be altruistic. That has massive implications for individual relationships, but also world peace, I think, of how can we exist or coexist on this planet, in this universe together. So to me, that's, that's a really critical, critical insight. Um, there are a few others that these things bugged me in psychology when I was a student. The, the meaning of love, what is love and what is beauty? Like 
lust makes sense because from an evolutionary perspective, we want to survive to reproduce and lust would encourage that. But love, is it necessary for that? Do you need it? No. And evolutionary theory is all about like, well, what is required for you to survive to reproduce? Love is sort of this thing that exists. It's ubiquitous. Everyone experiences it. People strive for it. And yet we can't fully explain it using evolutionary theory. If we take out biology and evolutionary theory from the picture and we say the nature of consciousness itself, when people have no brain activity, what are they experiencing? They're experiencing pure unconditional love. What do people report on some psychedelic trips? It's the same thing. Reduced brain activity, they're experiencing this love thing. Maybe that is the, the true nature of our own being. And it transcends anything biological. And that's why it's hard to come up with a biological explanation for love. It's not something that you experience per se. It's actually what you are at the core. So that is a mind-blowing thing for me. Because I always tried to understand, well, how is my body producing this sensation? Well, maybe it's just like our actual nature. Beauty is another thing that was even harder to explain through evolution. Why do I find the San Francisco Bay beautiful? Why is that evolutionary, evolutionarily beneficial? I don't need that to survive to reproduce. And yet beauty is also ubiquitous. Everyone experiences beauty. They see a painting that's beautiful or a mountain or a sunset or something. That again is explained by this, where Rupert Spire says this very well, the non-dual philosopher I mentioned. He regards beauty as consciousness recognizing itself when that self is an object. Whereas love is consciousness recognizing itself when that self is a being, whether it's a, a person or an animal or something. So these things, again, are like transcending biology. These are major, major ideas, which, again, they come from the simple flipping of consciousness doesn't come from matter. Matter is an experience within consciousness. That was friggin' beautiful, man. I loved all that. Thank, Thank you. you for Yeah, so well put. I agree with all of that and i would just use different words to to try to describe it from my own life experience um i just wanted to add that um i heard and i i, I don't know this but i heard that darwin's book um the his research showed that actually nature was collaborative and only part of that book the last little bit was when it came down to it then it was like survival of the fittest like when it actually absolutely had to like they didn't like nature never actually sought that out. But what we did is our, our culturally or um, universities, they just, they just took that last bit and magnified it. So I can't confirm if that's true or not, but it makes sense to me. Um, Cause the way that I describe it a lot of the time is like, you know, you're in the jungle and when um, you know, a beaver is a beaver, the beaver is going to like what it does. It, it chops down trees. It builds a little thing and you know, he has a great time and, and all of the forest benefits. But when the beaver is just doing things that he's not meant to do, he's trying to be uh, an eagle, he's going to suck at it, you know, he's going to just jump off the cliff and, and, and hurt himself. And it's not collaborative within the forest. So when we start to think about tuning into what feels good to us, um, and, and one of the ways I, I kind of say this is like, whatever fulfills you, I think Picasso had a really amazing um, quote about the meaning of life. And it says, uh, the meaning of life is to find your gift. The purpose of life is to give it away. And that's you recognizing who and what you are from your own being, you know, from you. And um, also like fulfillment when we're going through life and, and Jim Carrey had a great quote saying, I wish everybody could be rich and famous so they can know that that's not the answer. And put it in another way, it's like from my research, I think that you're never going to be truly fulfilled from what I can get. You'll be truly fulfilled when you realize what you can give. And when you, and when you start to do that a little bit more and whether it's a natural gift, you, you, it's your job, right? And you made an invention that improves people's lives. Um, you could be an investment banker and it makes you happy to help people support their financial future because that's what you like to do. Um, doesn't matter what it is, but it's from what can I give? How can I make your life better? And it, if you just sit with that idea, it just makes sense. Like it just makes sense. If, you, if you're going around thinking about what can I get? How can I rip people off? How can I get more? It, it's empty. And, you know, we, we talked a little bit at the beginning about the book that I wrote, Zen Athlete. And basically one of the principal ideas in that book is that um, you don't become whole, happy and fulfilled when you win the Stanley Cup or you become the tennis champion. You're whole, happy and fulfilled the whole entire way because once you win that championship, 
you know, a couple hours later, maybe a couple days, maybe a week, you go back to being you. You know what I mean? And you can look at the trophy and you can be all stoked about it, but you're not going to have that continuous happiness. It's going to be what fulfills me. How do I want, like that art is an expression of you. If your business is successful, it's, a, it's an expression of you. But if you're thinking about how can I give and how can I empower people, that actually feels good because you're empowering them in a way that you enjoy, that, that is of you and you see people light up and so it's like how i don't push people down i lift them up and when you do that it, it just makes sense as far as uh fulfillment goes and so what i wanted to ask is um you know from you thinking about yourself two years ago you know what what would you say to yourself to kind of open the doorway to this other idea another thought and if you could empower people listening or the world with with an idea or a belief or maybe even like a thought experiment to allow them more freedom and more happiness and more fulfillment from the research that you've done, um, what would you offer to them? I think this notion of uh, the lack of separation at an at a actual deep fundamental level where we are at the core the same but having different experiences, that to me is a totally mind-blowing, world-changing idea because it changes how we approach everything it changes it, it implies that we're not finite beings and that we're not separate from each other so if we're not finite that means we don't actually die maybe this physical form does but the body kind of transitions there's an analogy i really like that i reference in the preface of my book from dr bernardo castro a philosopher he says imagine that reality is like a stream of water where water represents consciousness and each of us is like a little whirlpool i'm one you're another localizations of the water but made of consciousness when the whirlpool dissolves it just changes form it doesn't the water doesn't leave from the stream it just changes into a new form within this broader stream of consciousness so it's like we're all water as part of this big stream so it just changes the whole perspective of like what am i doing here how am i interacting with people the person on the, the cashier whoever some person that that one might have considered to be insignificant is no longer insignificant at all. I mean, everyone's just water, everyone's just consciousness. There's, there's, I mean, it really, to me, this idea of equality and that we're all one, I used to roll my eyes at, at those ideas. Even though I like to treat people well, I always wanted to treat people well, but it was from the materialist perspective of, well, I just want to, I'm not sure why. Now at the core, it's, I mean, okay, well, this is another being, another experience of consciousness. That's a big deal, no matter who they are. And by the same token, some person who by material means is like a big deal is maybe brought down a little bit on a relative basis of, well, this is, a, this is another person of consciousness, just like the person that I walk by on the street. So to me, it's like it's brought this idea of equality into real life. Um, but I, I would, for people who are just getting into this, the reason I wrote the book is really for, for people like that who could have an introduction and people who have been exposed to it as well, but really for people who have never been exposed to have an introduction to all these ideas. Because for me, it was the exposure to this new base of evidence that I didn't know existed. All of a sudden, I had to reconcile these things that I had heard. How, what is it? Is it all fraud? Is it not? So just being exposed to the ideas, I think it opens the door a little bit. And it's just, I think educationally, to know that people are studying these things is super important. But what starts to happen over time, <clears throat> excuse me, is that the implications start to kick in of, oh, wait a second, maybe this is real. And as I was going through my process, when I learned about the things at first, I would dismiss them and then I would come back and I'm like, wait a second, there was this fact I learned, how do I reconcile it? So it was this back and forth. Uh, I'd learn about something, then I would forget about it. I would learn, forget. And then I got to a point, it was like the, the event horizon in the black hole. You know, the point where once you get, go past that point, you're sucked into the black hole. I got to a point where I couldn't, I couldn't come back to where I was before. So it's not an overnight process if you're new to this, if some of your listeners are just hearing it for the first time. If this is your first exposure, you've heard a lot and it will take time to process. And um, it, it's, a, it's a process for people. I mean, for me, it's been two years and it's still, I'm still absorbing it and, and learning how to live on a day-to-day -day basis. And I think we all do. Um, so that would be one thing I would encourage. Going back to my old self, what would I say to my old self? Well, I, I think my old self was very rational and was looking at implications based on what I thought was real. So I wouldn't fault my old self. It was just that I'd never been exposed to the information. And I was what I thought was well-educated and, and was around people who were well-educated. But I, these ideas were not part of that upbringing. 
that's another reason I wrote this is I want it to be part of the conversation. I want this to be not only for day-to-day -day people, because I think it will have a major effect on, on certain people in the same way that it affected me. I wanted to take my year's worth of nonstop research. I did, I mean, I was just doing nothing but researching. Social life, out the window, working, researching. I wanted to make that simple for people and put it into one place where they could get that um, in, a, in one easy place. Where, where was I going with this? Um, I lost my train of thought, Matt. What were we talking about? Me two years ago? <laughs> yeah. Okay. Yeah. yeah. Um, well, if you could like, yeah. And even if you yeah. could just give them like, uh, like, like any kind of like belief system, cause it's, it's good wherever you are, whatever you've experienced is great. Um, but if you could add like one of the nuggets and just implant, whether it's a belief or like an idea, what an idea, one okay. plant for. Okay. Them. Well, I think the one is the idea that we're fundamentally not separate, even though we look like we're separate. The other, I think I would go back to the life review. That stands out to me. People in a near-death experience where they have, these are impaired brains or no brain function at all. And they are experiencing their life in a flash, judging themselves for how they acted and experiencing in some cases how they affected people through that other person's eyes. That is extremely profound for how we think about our day-to-day -day actions. And if we just remember that even once a week of, oh wait, maybe this life review thing happens and maybe for some reason we don't remember it or we don't have conscious awareness of it. But it happens. And if for a second that's real, is, is there any harm in treating people as if that's real? I don't think there's any downside to it. And at the, in the best case, that, that what I'm talking about is real and we're one consciousness and that you are, you are promoting the evolution and advancement of consciousness by treating others well. I think that's a really big one. And then maybe there's another idea, which is this, this we get to psychic abilities and human potential, that we can do so much more than we're trained to, to think we can do. And we can use that power, hopefully, for good things. Awesome. 100% agree with all that, man. Well, I appreciate you and, and your work and, and going ham two years of research to bring this out from, uh, uh, you know, your, your perspective. Because I think that's important to bridge the gaps on both sides and to share what we learn. And, and if, it, if it's useful, if we learn something in our lives and we feel better, we feel more free, we feel more happy. Um, and we can share that freely with others and encourage them um, to, you know, just exactly just be a better person. And, and hey, this worked for me, uh, you know. If you want it, great. Um, hopefully, yeah. it can improve your life. Um, so I, before we go, I just want to ask you if there's anything that you wish that I had asked you, anything that you want to touch on before we go, you can feel free to elaborate as long as you wish. And if not, then you can just share where we can get a hold of you and uh, some final messages for the listeners. Sure. So I remembered what I was going to say. I was saying that the, <clears throat> I think the book will be great for the everyday listener, someone like me two years ago, um, to have that compressed amount of research in, in one place. Um, I had a friend who read the, the advanced reading copy the other day. He read it from San Francisco to New York, the whole thing. He said it, he got up to go to the bathroom once, but read the whole thing. That's perfect. That's what I want is for it to be concise and something that people can absorb quickly. But also, I wrote it for the academic community because we are all trained through our educational system, and that system is not teaching these things. And it's glossing over this, number one, we have no idea where the mind comes from, that it's an open question. It's an open question. We should be talking about that very actively. And number two, that there's evidence suggesting that the reason Science Magazine hasn't been able to figure out what is the biological basis of consciousness, the number two question, the reason they can't figure it out, in my mind, is that we're asking the wrong question. The question says, what is the biological basis of consciousness? It assumes that there is a biological basis of consciousness. If there's no biological basis in the first place, we're never going to solve the hard problem of consciousness. So this needs to get into the academic community. So you'll see in the book, I show opposing opinions of some people who are very prominent, very smart, and they say there's no evidence. And then you have Jessica Utz, who is, she was the 2016 president of the American Statistics Association. She was asked by Congress and the CIA in 1995 to evaluate all the evidence from the government program and elsewhere. And she concluded in her report that's publicly available, I quote it three times in the book because I, I don't want it to let, let it slide. She says, based on the, the, the um, the evidence, if you apply the standards that we apply to any other area of science, psychic functioning has been well established. This was in 1995. So there is a major rift in the academic community, and I, I would love for this to cause a massive debate. Because this stuff is, it's like not talked about, and there are a lot of academics that I talk to who are really interested in it, and other friends of mine in the academic community who are studying this, they get emails all the time from people. 
of like, hey, I can't tell my colleagues about this, but I'm super interested in telepathy or precognition. Um, I mean, I had one that I talked to, um, Dr. Julia Mossbridge, she told me this on her podcast. She was at Northwestern getting a PhD and she studies precognition, this idea that consciousness knows the future before it happens. Um, when she was on her tenure track, she was told to take that off her resume because it was too controversial. So that is not the right kind of encouragement in my mind if we want to have open study. Um, so that's another message that if, if, if you pick up the book, you'll see that early on in the book that I draw this, I show the rift that there's a major debate that many people haven't heard of. I didn't even know it existed. And I would love for that debate to become very active. And even if people are talking about my book and totally disagree with it, if they're talking about the ideas, then it's a total win. So I was a bit provocative at times in the book and I mentioned certain people's names. I'm not trying to be derogatory towards anybody. I have respect for all, all scientists on both sides, but I want the debate to be open because of all these implications we talked about, Matt. And it's the things that you talk about in your coaching, it sounds like, and on your podcast. These implications about society will come out of this science. And if we're suppressing certain things, or not even suppressing, if we're just not talking about them, then we can't get to the implications so easily. So for me, these implications we talk about of lack of separation, I would have dismissed that two years ago because I had no basis for thinking about it. What do you mean we're, we're not separate? Yeah, we are. Like, I can see you. We're, we're not the same. We're, we're separate. We're, we have similar DNA because we're humans and homo sapiens, but we're fundamentally different. I had no basis for thinking about the lack of separation. And now there's a framework. Well, consciousness doesn't come from the brain. It's the basis of all reality. It exists beyond space and time. We're all in this stream of consciousness together. That's a framework for, for thinking about it. So I'm hoping that people, um, this will give people a platform for thinking about the ideas and a platform for debate. And if you are, um, if you're interested in the book or know people who might be interested, I have a feeling that your listeners, based on just uh, hearing you talk, Matt, that your listeners probably are going to be more receptive than maybe than others. Uh, but your listeners may have friends who have never heard of these things before. And I wanted to create a book that you could hand to a friend that's never heard of these ideas, that's written hopefully in a grounded way that's backed by evidence that's logical, where you have to just, you have to deal with this evidence of how do I deal with it? I just don't believe it. It's fraud or it's real. Amazing, man. Well, I personally appreciate that because I came up with the worldview where I could give a crap about the science. I just know it. I don't care. So then I can now reference your book. You're like, look, you don't believe that you influence your reality, that we're all one, that there's these other states. Go check out my buddy's work. Mark, read that thing and then come back to me and we'll have an open discussion. Um, but yeah, I really appreciate what you're doing. And I, and I totally believe and feel the same way about the academic community that this for me, I didn't understand why, um, that it wasn't researched. Um, it's, it's in, you look at any ancient histories, it's all there, you know, like, you know, it's always talked about. And I think that the left brain is the part of us that can be controlled. You can be controlled and manipulated by filling it all up, defining what reality is and measuring it. But on the right side, that's the part connected to source yourself, creativity, expansiveness, oneness, connection with all things and we need to be open with to all ideas and the the bottom line is we don't know what's going on you know rationalistic reductionist science is great to a degree but you know when you have these states of mind or you look at reality and you look at quantum physics the truth is we don't know what's going on we don't know where consciousness comes from we don't know way more than we know you know if we know one then we don't know a number that doesn't exist you know 900 trillion we, we just, there's so much more we don't know than we do know. So if we can humbly look at all ideas in an open discussion in the spirit of collaboration um, for benefit of all people, including the person you're discussing it, to seek understanding from the person you're having a discussion with, not to be right, just to hear their view, to roll it around in your own nugget and to share something back and mutually have respect and seeking understanding, we're all gonna grow as individuals, as communities in the planet, because you know, if we are all one, then, then peace is important. And uh, that's what we need to strive towards, first within ourselves, uh, peace and kindness, and, and that's, 
you know, a never ending thing. Um, but when you start to bring the power back, what are your values? What do you want to create here? And you connect to this, this spirit, to this source or this idea that you create, you're going to have these experiences come into your reality to promote you being in aligned with that stream, you know, kind of like being in harmony with nature in whatever way you want to share it. So, um, I just appreciate you writing the book and your work. Um, and anything else you want to say? I think we, <laughs> I think we wait, covered a lot. I don't think you left your website. Did you? We, no, my website is, is my name, markgober.com. The book comes out on October 9th in hardcover. It will be available on audiobook and ebook as well. Um, I think we covered everything. And I would love, you know, if, if your listeners are, are interested in the ideas to support in the ways we discussed to let friends know about it. And I mean, when I was, when I wrote the book, I, my original inclination was why don't I just make this available for free? I really like, I have a job. I, I never intended on being an author. That's not why I'm doing this at all. I was advised that it would not be a good idea to do that because the book will have more perceived credibility if you have to pay for it. Uh, but my point is what I'm trying to do is to get the ideas out there as much as possible. So if your listeners, feel compelled by this talk and by the ideas that you talk about a lot, Matt. Um, I think this is a, this is hopefully going to be a good platform. Awesome. Well, I appreciate you. Thanks for coming on. Um, stay in touch and uh, thank you everybody for listening. Thank you, Matt. See you brother. All right, guys, that wraps up part two with the man, Mark Gober. I hope that you enjoyed that podcast. Like I said, um, at the beginning of both of these things, he's an extraordinary person. He's done amazing research. His life got a little bit of a like curveball there, and I'm so uh, grateful that he followed it and that he wrote a book and he shared his research because, you know, this isn't a common way of thinking. It kind of opens up. And what are the implications of, of thinking like this, uh, thinking a little bit bigger, a little bit differently? Um, does it have positive implications, negative implications? We don't know. But but um, for me, it's it's freedom of the mind, and uh, you know, it's both worlds. It's the yin yang. We need, we need both, and you know, traditionally, this type of thinking is kind of. Uh, you know, they try to say it's woo woo, this and that. But really, when you're on the other side, you realize that it's not. Now, there are there is some baloney in this field, 100 percent, tons of it. Um, but it doesn't mean that we aren't onto something. It doesn't mean that, you know, these ancient teachers, Buddhism, these these uh, philosophies and this wisdom that's been passed down for thousands of years, you know, like God is within and things like that. You know, obviously that comes from somewhere. So this is where we're going. We're kind of bringing both worlds together, the left and right hemispheres of the brain, um, you know, force and uh, surrender, all these things. We're coming into balance, and you got to do that within yourself. So thank you so much for listening to this episode. I hope that you enjoyed it. If you did, please share it. Shares are like pure gold. It really helps. Reviews on iTunes, so helpful. Thank you. Supporting me on Patreon, please do that because it helps so much, like, all it helps so much uh just go to patreon forward slash matt belair i appreciate everybody who's done any of that left a review but the most important thing that you can do is do one nice thing for somebody in action write somebody a letter pick up a piece of trash let somebody in in traffic um i don't know pay it forward get two coffees instead of one look at the person behind you in the cash register getting your groceries and pick something out like the bananas or cookies or ice cream and just say hey can i see that for a second swipe it and then say hey free ice cream day it's hilarious people love it um so, <laughs> so just uh, do anything do anything kind for anyone else that would be incredible um and embody the spiritual master today i have all of my love and gratitude for you uh please go to mattbelair.com sign up for that email list go forward slash lucid dreaming if you want that check out my mentor uh right now is david lone bear Senapass, a truly extraordinary native american el elder who does need assistance uh, we all do it's a small small organization trying to do a lot so any assistance would be great um assistant administrative assistant web uh, video um uh, benevolent investors to help get this incredible technology out there check out his balloon project bright stars put like 40 balloons into space through the technology of the ancient copper scroll so that's some pretty intense stuff right there um and we want to do a lot more and we need help so that would be great um what else i think that's it other than you are awesome oh check out zen athlete if you haven't checked that out yet 
Guide to Self-Mastery. That's a great book. And I'm going to let you go. i got to go. i got to get to the gym. I'm super stoked on that because uh, I've been doing a decompress from Burning Man, and I'm finally getting back in the swing of things and getting out from the pile of work that I have had to do um, and just being as productive as I can and being as kind to myself as I can um, in this process of reintegration. So anyway, let's come to a state of peace and coherence and send those good vibes to the entire planet, solar system, past, present, future. So wherever you are in the world, just stop what you're doing and taking a deep breath in through your nose. Hold that breath. Filling yourself up with gratitude. One thing you're really grateful for. Imagining the energy from the universe coming down through the top of your head, right down through your feet, pulsing through every cell and every muscle and every fiber of your being as you let that breath out slowly with all the cares, all the worries, all the self-doubts, all the self-criticisms. Taking another deep breath in through your nose and really amplifying this feeling of love and gratitude for self and other. Just amplifying love, compassion, kindness, goodwill. Feeling that energy pulse through every cell and every muscle and every fiber as the energies of the earth come up through your feet, connecting you, supporting you. You are of the earth and of spirit here, of uh, and supported by, of the earth and of spirit and let that breath out slowly as you magnify the feeling of gratitude one more time now taking in this deep breath in through the nose and really magnifying this feeling of love and gratitude and sending it out to everyone you've ever met whoever you met today your family your friends your co-workers people who served you who you interacted with your enemies send it to everyone you've ever met and throughout your city see this energy pulse this love kind compassionate energy pulsing to your city, to your country, to the world, and see this go out to the Milky Way, to the solar system, to the galaxy. I'm sending you all of my love, compassion, support, encouragement, well wishes, uh, goodwill towards you listening to this, and we're doing it as a unit on the podcast, just connected to all the souls, all the hearts on the podcast, everybody on the planet just being here and doing their best. Tons of love for Team Earth and humanity and everybody who is here right now at this time. So tons and tons of love to you. I hope that you have an amazing day. Go out there and do one kind act and I will see you in the next episode.